turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians 2. We're in a series called Fellowship. And we've been talking about fellowshipping with God, but, I, but we've been coming at it a different angle because I've been talking about some of the foundational and fundamental things that have to be right in your life for the fellowship with God that you want to happen. The first thing, the first half of the series, we've covered that man is a spirit, he has a soul, and he lives in a body. So man is three parts, and we spent a lot of time on that. That's in the first half of the series. But now, we've been focusing on um, just understanding your place with God and how God sees you. And this is a crucial part to fellowship, because if what you believe about God, what you believe about yourself can affect your relationship with God, all right? No different than, think of the marriage relationship, okay? If you believe that your spouse hates you, if you believe that your spouse disrespects you, if you believe that they have a negative view of you, maybe you don't really want to be around them that much, right? Like, that's not the type of person you want to just go sit down and have coffee. If you believe that that's how they see you, it's not pleasant to be around them. Now, whether they actually believe that or not about you may or may not be true. Like that could just be on your end. And so that happens with God where people have beliefs about God. See, people, a lot of people, anytime they think about God because of how they were raised, what they were taught, for whatever reason, anytime they think about God, they immediately feel condemnation, they feel shame, they feel not good enough. They feel like they don't measure up, and that can affect your relationship with God. Why would you want to go spend time with God if all it's going to do is make you feel worse about yourself? Why would you want to go read the Bible if all it's going to do is make you feel worse about yourself? Well, there's a key revelation that you have to have to understand how God sees you. And we're gonna, we, talked, we started talking about it last week, and we're going to continue talking about it this morning as well. Now, what I hope that happens for you in this service is I want you to, I just want you to relax and I want you to enjoy the good news this morning. So many times when we come to church, we hear things that we need to do, and there's a lot that we need to do, right? There's a lot of do's and don'ts, things like that, uh, and they have their purpose, and there's certainly, there's whole messages devoted to that. But this morning, I just want you to enjoy the good news of the gospel and, and to meditate on and think about how God sees you and, and the, the truth that God says and believes about you. All right, so we're going to look in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. How many of you were here a few weeks ago whenever uh, Pastor Cedric Jefferson came to minister? One of the things that he said, he was talking about growing up, how he hated God. And it went back to this very issue. He had a wrong belief about God. Where did that come from? Well, he said at his, his dad died young, and at his dad's funeral, the, the preacher told the congregation, which included he and his brother, that, dad, that God took your dad. Well, even though that's not a biblical sentiment, it's a, it's a tradition of man. It's a, it's a viewpoint that man came up with. He heard that, and he began to believe, man, what kind of God is this that would take a young child's dad? And it affected his belief about God, and therefore it affected his fellowship with God because he didn't want anything to do with God. And as a pastor, I've had many people sit in my office with the same exact story. And as I begin to show them from the Word of God that actually, no, the Bible says that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 
and actually that God comes to bring life into your life. As I begin to show them from the Word of God why things are the way that they are, why sin exists, why pain exists, why hurt exists, as I begin to show them from the Word of God, the light bulb begin to go off in their mind, and they begin to realize, oh my goodness, I, I have believed a lie, and it has affected my relationship with God this whole time. So you see how believing a lie can actually keep you out of fellowship with God. It's not God keeping you out of fellowship. It's just that you, you are believing something that's keeping you out of fellowship with God. So we want to hit that this morning. We want to really focus on that this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to read a lot of scripture again this morning. And again, my, my hope and prayer for you is that you walk out of here just full of faith, built up, encouraged about how God sees you, and uh, this, is the good, this is the good news. Amen? Amen. Ephesians 2, 1. We read Ephesians 1 last week. Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead. Everybody say, were dead. Were dead. See, if you were, if you were outside of Christ, you, you were looked at and considered as dead, having no true life in you. You go, yeah, but my heart was beating. Yeah, but you didn't have eternal life. Your spirit was dead. The, the fact that you have life in your body is pretty, is pretty, is pretty insignificant compared with eternal life because this life, if at your best, you're going to live to be a hundred years old. And after that, you're going into eternity. So what that you have very short and, you know, life on this earth, what we ought to be thinking about is eternal life. That's what matters. And that when the Bible says you were dead, it's talking about your spirit life. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which, you, in, which, uh, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's talking about Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. See, this is, this is a part of the gospel that a lot of people do not understand, that you were by nature a child of wrath, meaning you were born, you were born in sin. You were born outside of God. Not that you did anything wrong that made you outside. Somebody say, well, yeah, the first time you sinned, now you're outside of God. No, before you ever did anything right or wrong, you were born by nature a child of wrath because of what Adam did. That's a whole other revelation we can't talk about. But basically, just think of it like this. You didn't choose the family you were born into. right? You didn't choose the color of your skin. You didn't choose your hair color. You couldn't choose any of those things. You were just born by nature a certain way because of the family. You were born into, if you were born into a poor family, you're poor. If you're born into a rich family, you're rich. Like that, you were born into sin. And you, you couldn't do anything about it. You were born that way the moment you were born onto this, this planet. That's a whole other message and sermon that we're not going to get into. So he says, by nature, by your nature, you were a child of wrath. Like the rest of mankind. Verse 4, but God. See, this changes everything right here. This, up until verse 4, we're hearing about how horrible we are. Then in verse 4, we hear, but God, meaning everything changed because God decided to get involved. But God, being rich in mercy, 
because of the great love with which he loved us. In other words, when he looked at you and he looked down, it was his tremendous love that compelled him and caused him to get involved. A lot of people don't think God feels that way about them. But that's how God feels about you. That's how God thinks about you. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ by grace You have been saved. You see, this part explains to us that even though we were enemies of God, God loved us. And you see this a lot in Scripture, um, this this discussion about love. God kind of love versus human love. Human love typically loves people that love them back. So if, if someone is good to me, and they like me, and they're kind to me, I love you. If someone does wrong to me, if, if someone backstabs me, if somebody lies about me, then I hate you and I don't want to be around you. Like, without God, that's kind of our tendency, right? So we have people we like, we have people we don't like, we have people that are friends, we have people that are enemies. And if you're an enemy, for some of us, boy, if you, if you are on our bad side and, you know, people that are around you, they know, they say, listen, if, they, if you're on their good side, they're all good to be around. If you get on their bad side, though, you do not want to be on their bad side because they're very vindictive. They're very angry. Well, how many of you know God, of all people, has the power? If you're an enemy of God, he's got the power to be very vindictive if he wanted to be. He's got the power. If you are an enemy of God, he's got the power to just destroy your life and put you in your place and make your life literally a living hell. But it says that while you were his enemy, okay, while while people were cursing his name, while, while the very ones that were putting the stripes on his back, by, by the very ones that were nailing him to the cross, Jesus was saying, God, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In other words, he, while we were sinners, while we were enemies, God was loving us, saving us, redeeming us. So by grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages. And now we're talking about eternity. What God did here, what Jesus did here, has something to do with the age to come. And for a lot of us, even when we think about salvation, all we think about is the here and now. Well... You know, I want to I follow God so my life can be better. Uh, I want to follow God so I could, you know, stop sinning and I can stop hurting myself and hurting others. And it's all about the here and now. He said, no, he raised you up for actually something beyond this life. He raised you up, and I love this. Listen, listen this is going to, okay, I got to prepare you for this next statement. Y'all t- take it off the screen. I don't even want them to see it, all right? You just, you got to, you got to, I got to set you up for this because... The next statement, I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's so far beyond what you have believed or what you even can believe or what you, what you even know and understand about God. But this statement, this statement, it's going to reveal something to you about how God thinks about you, okay? And when I say you, I don't mean you as a mass of people. I mean you as an individual. And this is one thing you got to know about God. When he deals with his children, it's, it's not in mass, okay? It's not like, you know, he's doing this and it's just this mass sea of humanity. It's no trouble for God to think about you as an individual 
and then this other one as an individual, and me as an individual. That's no trouble for God because he does not exist inside of space and time. So he could be in our church service this morning as well as in church services down the street and all over the world. And when you get up and pray in the morning, it's just like it's you and him. It's just like it's you and him. And but yet there's somebody else praying across the world and it's just like it's them and him. So you got to realize that and you got to know that and you got to believe that when we're talking about these things, I want you to think of it as an individual level. Okay, now back to verse 7. You, you go ahead and put it up now. Look at this. So that in the coming ages, he did all this, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Do you, know, do you understand what this means? This means that God's plan. He did all of this. He's explaining why, why he sent his son, why salvation came, why? So that in eternity, he could continue to show you on a daily basis the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward those of us who are in Christ Jesus. This is what this means. When you get into eternity with God, you are going to be experiencing the immeasurable, means can't, can't be measured, outpouring of God's love and grace on your life every single day for all of eternity. I told y'all y'all wasn't going to get it. I didn't even get one amen that morning. Y'all just stared at me blankly. So I, I guess just go back and listen to it a few times. Go back and read it a few times. But so that in the ages to come, he says that God might show you the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Isn't that amazing? See, this is why I said last week, if you think you understand the gospel, you haven't even begun to scratch the surface. You haven't even begun to scratch the surface. Now, after you've been shown the immeasurable riches of God's grace for a few weeks in heaven, maybe a few months, maybe a few years, then you might begin to understand. You might begin to scratch and understand exactly what God has plan for you. See, when you understand a God that would do that, when you understand, man, that's how God sees me, that's his plan for me, he, he sent his son to die for me so that I could participate in that with him, well, then that begins to affect your fellowship here. Because now you know, man, that's, that's how God feels about me. So it begins to affect your fellowship with him in the here and now. Colossians chapter 1, let's go there. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. We got into this last week, and we were having such a good time that I preached for an hour and five minutes. I don't normally preach that long. All right, if you were here last week, I apologize for that. Um, I don't plan on going that long this week. But nobody let me know. I mean, I, didn't, I looked out. Nobody even did this. I, they were just, y'all were just all into it, you know. Colossians 1, 12 it says, giving thanks to the Father. Oh, I love this. I love this. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. Everybody say qualified. Okay. He has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, I just can't, I can't re-explain this. You're going to have to go back and listen last week if you missed it. But if you were here, we talked a little bit about this inheritance that he's referring to. And this inheritance that he's referring to, is the inheritance that was given to Jesus as the Son of God. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus was made the heir of all things because of what he did on the cross, because he chose to come as a man and die for you. 
that he was made the heir of all things. Even though you didn't do anything, even though you don't deserve it in any way, God chose to make you a co-heir with Christ. And here's what Colossians tells us. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. Did you? I'm going to tell you something that might shock you this morning. Did you know, people say this all the time, well, you don't have to be perfect. Did you know that you have to be perfect to get into heaven? I told you it's going to shock you a little bit because we're not used to hearing that. Actually, no, you do have to be perfect to get into heaven. But here's the, the secret of it. Jesus was perfect, and he gifted his perfection to you. You could, you could never be perfect. See, you, you could never be perfect and follow the law. You, could, you couldn't do that. But actually, yes, to get in, you do have to be perfect. See, this, Jesus talked about this a lot. When he came and he preached in the Gospels, this is why he was saying to him in the beginning, he said, those of you who are following the law, trying to be right with God, and you think that you're following the law perfectly, and you, you think you're living this life perfectly, like you're a Pharisee, you're a scribe, you think, you think you're living perfectly to please God according to the law. He said, let me just begin to show you how far you really are from perfection. So that's when he began to say things like that. Oh, you think you haven't committed adultery? Well, let me show you what real adultery is because it begins in your heart. He says, oh, you think you haven't murdered anyone? Let me, let me show you that murder actually begins in your heart through hatred. And that if you hated your brother, it's the same as murder. So what was he doing? He was showing them, you think you're living perfection to obtain salvation? He said, you couldn't be further from it. You're just as far as everybody else. And see, we're all in the same boat. We're going to read that in just a moment. That's why the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Why does, Romans, why does Paul say that? Why does Paul, is he trying to make his uh, audience feel bad? He's trying to make, hey, you are all sinners, all worthless, you're all guilty. No, here, here's why. See, the Bible sets up a case. The Bible uh, explains a case for what salvation is, why it had to be, etc. So it uses a lot of legal terms. Actually, when you read about the gospel, it, it kind of sounds a lot like a court proceeding. He says, first of all, all have sinned or trespassed. In other words, you are guilty. Then he says, but one came who justified, meaning that you were cleared from your, from your guilt. So Paul's, Paul's real adamant about showing people their guilt in the first place. And when you read through the Bible, you, you get a lot of that. You get a lot of explanation about how I many all have sinned, you're guilty, you were enemies of God. Why? Well, because you can't understand how good the good news is until you understand how bad off you were in the first place. So you don't really start with how good the good news is until you've understood your place of sin and your place of separation from God and your, your place, actually, the Bible says, as a child of wrath under the punishment of God. Once you begin to understand that, then you go, man, I understand how good the good news is. Thank God that I didn't deserve that, that I didn't, or excuse me, that I did deserve it, but I didn't get it. So going back to Colossians 1, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. Listen, you, you now qualify for this inheritance. You now qualify for salvation. This is why I'm not one of those ones, I'm not a big fan of people going around, oh, we're nothing just but a bunch of dirty sinners before the Lord. No, that's who I used to be. That's how I used to be. I don't refer to myself that way. 
Oh, we're just all sinners before God. You might be. I'm not anymore. Listen, to do that is to insult God. It's to insult the cross. It's to insult his label that he has put on you. He does not call you a sinner. He calls you justified. He calls you righteous. He calls you redeemed. He calls you a co-heir with Christ. So I don't refer to myself, oh, just an old dirty sinner before the Lord. No, praise God, that's who I would be without Christ. But he put a new label on me. And so when it says right here that the Father has qualified you, it means that in real terms. It means that you now qualify for salvation. You now qualify for the inheritance. You now qualify for heaven. But it's not because of what you did. It's because Christ gifted his qualification to you. Okay, that's the reason why. Have you ever tried to qualify for something in your life and maybe you didn't make it? Like maybe a loan or something. Like you went to get a loan. And when, when you go to get a loan, they want to inspect certain things for what purpose? To see if you qualify. They, right, right, they want to look at your credit score. Based on your credit score, you may qualify, you may be disqualified for the loan. You know, they want to look at your assets. They want to look at your income. They want to look at specific criteria. And if they, they look at the criteria and they go, nope, you don't meet the standards. I'm sorry to tell you, you know, you get one of those letters. We regret to inform you <laughs> that you do not qualify. Do you understand that what's going on here? When God says, I look at you, I've inspected your life, I've looked, I've examined everything, and who can do an examination like God? He says, I look at you, and here's my news to you. You qualify. You qualify for the inheritance. You qualify for heaven. You qualify for salvation. You qualify for sonship. Why? Because Christ did it for you. This is why it's called the good news. It wouldn't be good news if I was up here telling you today you had to earn it and you had to qualify under your own good behavior. That wouldn't be good news because none of us would qualify. Every single one of us would fall short. And some might think, well, I've lived a pretty good life. You know, I really haven't done much wrong. Well, so you're just a, you're just a little guilty, but you're still guilty. And here's the thing. Uh, even if you think like that, you're probably a lot more guilty than you know. And if, so you have some people whose lives, they're really guilty. And then you have some people who may be just not as much guilty, but we're still all guilty. Even people that think they're super holy, super righteous, I've lived a very moral life, blah, 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 on and on and on. Listen, you're still guilty. You're still guilty. And you go, well, I'm just a little guilty. Doesn't matter. <laughs> you're still very, you're still guilty. It's like, it's like if we had a, a, you know, a boulder the size of this room. And you brought the, the strong man. You ever watch those strong man competitions on ESPN or something like that? You know, you bring in this huge guy that could pull an 18-wheeler with his teeth. You know, pull him back. Okay, and you put him up against the boulder. Well, he's a lot stronger than me. Uh, and so he's a lot stronger than me. But up against the boulder, our strength is irrelevant, right? Neither of us are moving it. And even though he might be, you know, he's probably only a little bit strong. But just a little bit stronger than me. Even though that he just could push on that rock, he's not going to move it. 
even though I'm way weaker than he is, I'm not going to move it. The bottom line is neither of us are moving it. And this is how it is before God. You go, well, I only sinned a little bit. Listen, you're, you're still millions of miles away from salvation. Okay, and this is where it takes faith just to believe God and trust God because we can't explain it all in one sermon, but it takes faith to believe. You know what? The Bible says I was a child of wrath that I'm under sin and I'm not right with God. And the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But praise God that we can receive salvation as a gift. And what I want you to understand is this morning is uh, you do literally qualify before God this morning because of what Jesus did. In other words, if it were to be examined in God's court of law, you would be looked at as justified, redeemed, if your faith is in Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you don't qualify. Otherwise, if you say, I don't know about that, I don't believe that, I don't want that, now you're left to qualify on your own standards. Without Christ, you are left to live a perfect life life and to qualify on your own goodness before God. I wouldn't want to be in that position. I wouldn't want to meet and stand before God on judgment day having to qualify based on my own life, my own thoughts, my own motives, my own secrets, every dark thing that's ever happened in my life. I wouldn't want to have to stand before God and qualify for salvation. Because here's what's going to happen on that day. Even those of us that think, oh, we're just so good and we just live so right. It, our whole life is going to be played and we're going to see. The, remember last week I read books are going to be opened? Yeah, because the Bible says every idle word has been written down. Even every idle word has been written down. Every thought, every detail, not one single thing he's missed. Everything that you forgot about. Everything that people have forgiven you for. It's all written down right there. And without a Savior, you're going to answer for that. But praise God, there's another book that was opened. It was called the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. And he says, if your name was in that book, then now you have a Savior. The price has already been paid for those things that are in the other book. Isn't that good news? Amen. Praise God. So, Colossians 1, give thanks to the Father who has qualified you. Don't ever call yourself a dirty old sinner again. Don't ever say, oh, we're just all dirty old sinners before God. No, the Bible says you're righteous before God. The Bible says that you, are, that you now qualify before God. Not just any and everybody. Not just any and everybody. Those that have received that qualification as a gift from Christ. But if you reject Christ, you don't have that qualification. It's those of us that are in Christ that have that gift. You know, I remember... When I was getting my first apartment, my wife and I were getting married, and boy, we barely, <laughs> we did not have a lot of money, for sure. Uh, I remember we went to the Salvation Army and bought a couch. That was our first couch. And after all the bills were paid, after everything was done, I don't know why I remember this exactly, but we had like $7.50 left every week. And so we would go to this little Chinese place called Takey Audi, and we would get... <laughs> Great name, by the way. And we would get General Chow's chicken or something like that, and we would split it. And after that, we had about 50 cents left over, and that was good because there was a quarter cinema 
on Wednesday nights, it was a dollar movie the rest of the time, but on Wednesday nights, it was one quarter, and we'd go watch a quarter movie. So we'd eat takey outy and go watch a quarter movie on Wednesday nights, and after that, we were done. Like anything else came up, we were going to have to figure out a way. We did not have a lot of money. But we got in our apartment, and we had to have a cosigner for obvious reasons. Um, and so I remember my parents uh, co-signed for the apartment because they sure weren't going to give it to us. But that's what happens with, with the co-signing is you look, at, you look at the person trying to get it and you go, you don't qualify. And then they look at the other person who's co-signing and they go, well, you qualify. But here's what that means. It means you're responsible for everything that they do. It means that if they make a mistake, it's on you. If they default, it's on you. And that person says, yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that responsibility. So when you have a co-signer, they no longer are looking at you. They're looking at the other person who's standing in for you. So see, we have this principle all throughout society. But this is exactly what Christ did. Before God, you're guilty. You could never pay. Jesus stepped in and he said, I'll co-sign. I don't want you to look at them. I want you to look at me. And so legally, God said, okay, we're no longer looking at them and, and their sin and their problems were now looking at Christ. Now Christ's righteousness, he's going to have to qualify. He's going to have to live the perfect life. He's going to have to live sinless. He's going to have to live according to the law. And if he does it, I'm going to count it to them as righteousness. And that's exactly what happened. That's why you have salvation as a gift. And all you have to do is accept it. How many of you know out of pride I could have rejected my parents' co-signing? I could have said... No, I'm going to figure this out on my own. I'm going to do that. And guess what? I would have been left to my own devices, and people do it all the time. It's where people have a hard time believing salvation. They go, is it really that easy? Yes, it is. He's offered it to you as a free gift, and many will reject it. Many will reject it. But you only have to believe and receive it and accept the goodness of God. Amen? Amen. Jesus met every single criteria that was required for salvation. He met every single criteria that was required to receive that inheritance, to receive salvation, and then he gifted it to you. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. I want to read this out of the New Living Translation. It says, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, or it's explaining to you how he qualified and it's explaining to you how he became the heir of all things. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. In other words, he didn't, he didn't go, well, I'm God, and I don't, have, I don't owe them anything. I'm God, and I don't want to go down there and be a human. I don't want to go down there and die on the cross. I don't want to go down there and be tempted in every way as they're tempted and live a perfect, holy, sinless life. I don't want to do that. They're the ones that messed this whole thing up. I don't want to do that. No, it says he didn't do that. Though he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. But instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form... He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, everybody say therefore. therefore. Because of everything that we just read, therefore, God elevated him 
to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this is what Jesus received for what he did. You, me, we did nothing. Everything you just read about, the name that's above every name, and all the inheritance and everything that comes along with it, you're going to be a partaker in that because of what Christ did for you. What does it take to receive this qualification? It's so simple. The Bible, you would, it's so simple, many can't even believe it. The only thing required to receive the qualification that we're talking about this morning is to believe that it happened and to believe that Jesus did it. Now, for many, this is a challenge. For many, they can't, they can't believe because they have other things that are, that are blocking them, other, other you know, pieces of evidence or other things, and they have trouble believing because of a rational mind or whatever. But look at Romans chapter 3. Verse 21, because it's going to give us an example of Abraham. Let's see, I've got a few minutes left. I'm going to try to cram all this in this morning. Romans 3, 21. But now the righteousness of God. Now let's pause there. Righteousness means perfection. See, this is why I said you have to be perfect to get into heaven. You have to be perfect. That's what righteousness means. Righteousness means complete and total perfection lacking nothing. Not one Dot over an I, not one cross of a T out of place. Perfect perfection with no ability to become more perfect because you've reached the pinnacle of perfection. That's what righteousness means. That is right standing before God. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. In other words, the ability to be made perfect separated from following the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, meaning the law and the prophets actually talk about this process. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through, everybody say, faith. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. Why? For all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. And are justified. That means cleared. Made righteous. Are justified by his grace. As a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So you see righteousness comes to you. Apart from works of the law. Are works of the law important? Is living holy important? Is living uh, you know, not living a sinful life important. Absolutely. We could spend entire sermons on that and on the importance of it. But just what you need to know is it, it can't, living that way or, or trying to live as close to that as you can, can't obtain you salvation. You're still completely lost if that's what you're depending on. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe for there is no distinction. That means there's no one been left out. 
don't have to be Jew, don't have to be Greek, don't have to be a man, don't have to be a certain color, don't have to have a certain status in life. He said, nope, there's no distinction. Before God, all are sinners. Before God, all are on an equal plane. See, we don't see it like that. In, the, in our world, you look out, we, we're status, we judge people, there's you know, ladders of this and that, of wealth and color and all these things. He says, before God, every single person is a sinner. There is no distinction. How many of you believe that would help the world right now to understand that, help the church world, help the world to just understand, hold on a minute, we're all sinners before God. There is no, you know, li, you know little you, big me, important, unimportant, no. Every person is lost without God. He says there is no distinction for all have sinned. In other words, all need a Savior. Skip to Romans 4. That was Romans 3. But Paul has taken us through a logical explanation and argument here. So we get to verse 1. And he's using Abraham as an example. Romans 4.1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh. In other words, if we look at Abraham's life, what did he do to get salvation? What did he do to be made right with God? Because Abraham had a very special relationship with God. If you look at Abraham's relationship with God, he had a very special... I mean, I've told you about that last week. You know, you could look at Abraham's life and go, man, I want to have a relationship with God like Abraham. So he asked the question, well, okay, how did Abraham gain that special relationship with God. He said, what did he do in the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by his works, if it was something that he was doing, then he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. See, this is, this is a key piece to the whole thing. It doesn't say Abraham was righteous. It says it was counted to him as righteousness because of what he believed. See, if somebody is declared in court not guilty, it doesn't actually mean that they're not guilty, but they were declared not guilty based on what the jury or the judge said. Now, the actual facts could be different. Or, or for example, if somebody is exonerated or they're pardoned, it doesn't mean that they're actually not guilty, but it means they've been declared not guilty, so in the eyes of the law, they're not guilty. And a person who's been declared not guilty, as you know, double jeopardy can't be tried for the same thing twice. They're, you've been declared not guilty. And even if other evidence comes out that says, no, look, they were guilty, doesn't matter. The declaration of not guilty still stands. Because it's a legal declaration. And this word justified, that's what it means. God, when you put faith in Jesus Christ, you are declared by the God and creator of the universe, you are declared not guilty. And it doesn't matter what evidence there is of the contrary. It doesn't matter what man says. It doesn't matter what Satan says. It doesn't matter what you say about your own self. When you believe in Christ, you are declared not guilty. So he says, if Abraham was declared not guilty or justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham worked his way to righteousness? Abraham lived holy enough for righteousness? No, it says Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, this is Romans 4.4. 4. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And here's what he's saying. 
He's saying Abraham was made right by his, by his faith, and he became the father of all those who would be made right with God through their faith. So he goes on to explain, actually, it's not the Jewish people who are children of Abraham. It's the children of faith who are the real children of Abraham. That's his whole explanation here in Romans 4. He says, when you, by faith, believe God, you become a child just like Abraham. Because, fa- because Abraham is the father of all of those who would come to be made right with God by faith. He says, see, it was never about uh, you know, ethnicity or Jewish this or that. He said, no, if, you're a, if, you're a, if you have the right heritage, but you're not believing the right things, he said, you're still not right with God. He said, there's only one way to be made right with God. He said, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as is due. In other words, if you earned your salvation, salvation's not a gift. That's clear. If you worked for it, it's your, it's your wages. He says, no, you didn't work for it. You believed for it, and it was counted to you as righteousness. Verse 16, that is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Talking about Abraham's. Not only to the adherent of the law, Jewish people, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, not just one. I've made you the father of many nations in the presence of God and whom we believe who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Now it explains the faith of Abraham that caused God to count his faith as righteousness. Verse 18. In hope he believed against hope. Now, for those of you that may not be familiar, God made a promise to Abraham when he was 75 years old that he would give birth to a, a son, and through that son, he would become the father of many nations. Well, at 75 years old, he was past the point of being able to have children, and his wife was too. But in verse 18, in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body. In other words, when he examined the evidence, his faith didn't change. And I, and I want to apply this to you because as a believer... You're, you're going to be tempted once you've put your faith in Christ and, and you're, you've been told salvation is yours, justification is yours, righteousness is yours. You're going to be tempted when you see evidence to the contrary to believe something different. But notice what he said. No, as a child of faith, he said, you're, you, you're called to believe. Abraham did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body. In other words, every day he had to walk around being a 75-year-old man and he did that for 25 more years. Even though he was promised this at 75, it didn't happen until he was 100. So for 25 years, he had to walk around looking at his body as year after year after year passed. And he's like, okay, I couldn't have been a father last year. And now I'm, you know, another year past that. And he got older and older. And the evidence mounted and mounted and mounted. But the Bible says he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body. And what was happening all the while? God was watching. How many know God could have made him be the father of many nations when he was 30 or 20 or 75? Why did he make him wait 25 more years? Because he was earning something. He was purchasing something that he couldn't get through works. You could only get it through faith. So he was walking his faith out every day, walking his faith out, believing God. And listen, you're doing the same thing. That's why you're called a child of Abraham in Scripture. You're, you're walking out. As a child of Abraham every day, believing 
God is my salvation. I'm righteous before God. I'm perfect before God. I have an inheritance in Christ. You go, what about on a bad day when you messed up? You don't be weakened in faith by the evidence. You turn and you believe something. You go, no, I'm righteous in God. I'm walking by faith. God is my Savior. Amen. That is the salvation that is purchased through faith. The Bible says he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which is as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. How many believe God is able to do what he's promised us? Amen. How many of you sometimes look around the earth and you see things, maybe in your own life or in this world, and you're tempted to waver in your faith? You're tempted to go, I don't know, you know, is, is, does God really have a plan? Is all this stuff in the scripture really true? Or are we really all going to end up in heaven? He walked that out day after day. The Bible says, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Verse 22, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So you see, Abraham was just an example of how to walk by faith how to walk out every day by faith. That's why I always say salvation is not a one-time decision. In other words, to believe God for Abraham, all right, to believe God about the promise of Isaac, it wasn't a one-time decision. It wasn't like one day God spoke and said, this is going to happen, and he said, okay, I believe that, and he was done. No, what this was saying is every single day he had to wake up and go, nope, I'm standing on the promise. I'm believing that. I'm holding fast to that all the way to the end. I'll go down believing, even if it never happens, I'll go down believing that what God said is true. And he walked it out all the way to the end. And, and, and actually, this is, a, this is consistent with what we see in Scripture as well, that as believers, we need to hold fast to the faith all the way to the end. You go, well, I believed something when I was 10 or, you know, five years ago. I had a, okay, you need to walk it out every day. Every day walking, believing, and trusting in God for your salvation. Walking out every day, believing God for your righteousness in Christ. Believing that God justified you. Believing that he has an inheritance waiting on you. Believing that Jesus paid a price you could never pay and gifted it to you. And, and from time to time, you'll find yourself trying to slip over into works-based righteousness where you feel like you got to earn it, you got to do it. That's the moment to click back over and go, hold on a minute, I'm not doing this to earn salvation. If I'm going to do anything, it's going to be out of love for God and out of love for people. But it's not going to be to earn salvation. This is the last example that I want to give you, and, and we're going to be done this morning. But I want you to think about the marriage relationship, because actually in Ephesians, uh, Paul, gave us the, Paul tells us that God gave us marriage as a picture of Christ in the church. In other words, one of the reasons for marriage is to point to our relationship with Christ. And, you know, today, 
we look at marriage a little bit different than they did back in Jewish culture. Uh, divorce was a very rare thing. At a time in American culture, divorce was a very rare thing. And marriage was looked at for life. And what is, what is marriage? Well, if you are a husband or if you are a wife, there is a, there is a status that has been given to you legally. In other words, you, you entered into a covenant legally. And when you sin, do things, you know, hurt each other, that status doesn't change, right? In other words, if, if I say something rude or, oh, let me reverse that. If my wife says something rude to me, you know, because that doesn't, anyway, uh, the status doesn't change, right? We're still married. I may not like you right now. I might be aggravated with you right now. I might have evil thoughts about you right now. But, the, but our status of being married is still the same. What about, your, what about your children? How many of you have ever been mad at your children? <laughs> okay. Well, but their status as children, they're still your son. They're still your daughter. Why? Because they've been given a status. And this is what I want you to understand. When God gave you a status by your faith, through your faith, and he declared you, he gave you a status. He declared you justified. He declared you righteous. He declared you a son of God. Please understand, that doesn't change on a whim. It's not good for us to go and sin. It's not good for us for our own selves, those around us. It causes all kind of natural problems. It's not good for us. But our salvation doesn't change on a whim. We've been given a status by God because of our faith. And just like in marriage, you're devoted to one another. Just like in parenting, you're devoted to your children. Even when they have their ups and downs and you'd like to wring their neck, they still have that status with you. And we could learn something about this in marriage, actually, but that's a whole other sermon. But I want you to understand, you have been given a status with God. Legally, in God's court of law, you've been declared righteous and justified. And that's not something that's easily just, you know, done away with. That is a status that you have. And you need to live every day in confidence and faith and in boldness in that status. Not, as the Bible says, to take advantage of the grace of God. Not to take advantage of it. But, but to be confident in it that... I can go into the presence of God. I can go before God, and he's not looking at me as guilty, condemned, an old worthless sinner. No, the opposite. The opposite. He's looking at you as righteous, justified, holy in his sight because of what Christ did on the cross. Amen. Amen. 